0: Let's send our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16, please. 1 Samuel 16. Now, three weeks ago, we had our third annual uh, missions conference. And I must say, it was a huge blessing, uh, at least to me. And it was a blessing to see how many people took part and uh, participated in all of it. Uh, Whether it was helping behind the scenes, maybe organizing things, washing the dishes, just coming to the services. Uh, singing special songs, whatever else there was uh, to do. You know, some of these things are always so hidden. You never know what people do, but it works because they're there. (laughs) You know, everybody has been saying this, so I almost feel obligated to say this, but not really, but this mission conference really gets better and better every single year that we're having it. And I praise God for that. That's, That's fantastic. And I won't be lying if I say that, the Lord hasn't been working in my heart every single year, giving me some sort of message, and it all ties in together with whatever's going on in my life, going on in church. Uh, it's never a separate thing, and never should it be. And we don't just live for one time in the year, do we? Uh, maybe some of you only live for December, but that's a different story. <laughs> but you see, the thing is that God loves missions. He loves missions. And to prove it, well, he instituted it (laughs) in the Bible. Um, He really loves missions. And then last week at the evening service, I know many of you weren't here, but we got to hear from Brother Peter Putney, who's a missionary in Colombia, and we got to see the mission field there without even paying for a plane ticket. That was awesome. Now, what a tremendous blessing it is, to be able to hear from these missionaries and to get their updates on a regular basis on what's going on in the ministries, in their lives, and so on, so that we can know how to better pray for them. Um, that, that, is, that is so precious for us. And what a great blessing to see what God is doing in this world, how He is still busy in the lives of people from all walks of life and from all different countries. Now, this past Friday... Um, Gareth also mentioned it in the announcements. Two of our church members, Vensel and Solis, Berta, they used to sit here. Their seats are empty today. But that's because they left for the mission field in Russia. So please remember to pray for them. It's, they really need every single prayer that comes their way. But I think many times we look at these missionaries or we read about them and we sort of we raise them up on a pedestal and we forget that they are in essence... No different than any of us here that are saved today. No different, they just have a different calling. These men that we support as missionaries, they all have a testimony of salvation, that they truly met with God, they saw their sin, and they ran to the cross to be saved. And now they've committed their lives to Jesus and to his gospel. Is that any different to what we should be doing? Even if we stay here? Not really, is it? We should be committing our lives to Christ. We should be crucifying the flesh daily. We should be renewing our minds daily by washing washing it with the Word. We should love our brethren, and we should preach the gospel. Does that mean that all of us should should go to some foreign missions field to uh, preach the gospel there? Well, no. (laughs) Just imagine, if we all leave, then nobody's here to preach the gospel, (laughs) Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. The Lord has a different calling for all of us. Now those of you who are are members here in this church, or maybe you're coming here regularly now, uh, you will know that we emphasize the duty of every Christian to preach the gospel. And we do that because the Bible does that. But when we talk about preaching the gospel, there may be a question that comes up in people's minds. Maybe you've never thought about this but I thought about this this week, (laughs) is that why is it necessary to preach the gospel? Why are these missionaries leaving everything and everyone behind to go to this foreign place just to preach the gospel and make disciples? Why is that? And I actually think it's a pretty good question. Um, I wish that more Christians would ask this question to themselves. You know, I've told my daughter many times that if you don't ask the question you won't get the answer. It's actually a very simple concept, isn't it? We don't ask questions. And so I thought that I would ask this question today on behalf of all of you, <laughs> and I will try to provide some answers to it. So why is it necessary to preach the gospel? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you for leading us in these services. We thank you, Lord, but you... Um, provide the light on our path we thank you that we can open up that light today your word lord and we ask that you will please come and speak in our hearts every one of us and change us lord make us more like you make us the people that you want us to be in this life while we are still breathing we praise your name lord amen so you've got your bibles open there in 1 samuel 16 Now, let me just remind you of the context, the greater context that we have here, is that the Lord sent Samuel to Jesse so that he could uh, anoint a new king from among the sons of Jesse. Um, And that king would then ultimately replace Saul. So let's look at verse 6 here, what happened. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he, he looked on Eliab, this he is Samuel, Okay, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Eliab definitely looked like a king. Otherwise, Samuel wouldn't have reacted this way. He definitely looked apart. But do you see what the Lord told Samuel? Look at the uh, at the end of verse seven. He said, "For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart." One day, the Lord Jesus replied to the Pharisees when they um, r- ridiculed him by saying the following. I'm going to read it to you. "Ye are they which justify yourselves before men." But God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. These Pharisees all had the appearance of being good men that did the right thing. They had a lot of zeal for the law and for the traditions uh, of their elders. But all of that was just for show. It was just for show. And you, you wouldn't know it by just looking at them. I mean, when people saw these Pharisees, they saw the real holy men. I mean, these were the guys, they stood on the street corners and they prayed out loud, you know. They gave tithes so that everybody could see, wow, these guys are really doing a good thing. They did all of that. But all of it was just to get the approval from the people and to perhaps further themselves politically and maybe even financially. And that without any concern about the glory of God. And they knew it and God knew it. Because you see, God does not look at people the same way as we do. We can only see the appearance, isn't that right? And we are quick to judge whether somebody is a good person or not. Maybe even quick, quickly judge whether they're saved or not. (laughs) And that's dangerous. I mean, let me give you for instance. Let's say you're walking down the street, and this big guy—I mean, it's a big guy—is coming towards you. And this guy has a leather jacket on. He has a bunch of tattoos everywhere. He has some earrings. Maybe he has a nose ring in. I don't get why people do that. And, but, and, he, and, and he shaves his head clean. Uh, most of us would be inclined to look at that guy and think, okay, that guy needs the Lord. He, he needs to get saved. He really needs the gospel. Of course, you won't preach it to him because you're scared of the guy. But, and then later, after you've passed around this guy, Okay, You won't walk next to him. Um, another man walks towards you. And this man, he's dressed neatly, like most of you today. Um, not too flashy, but he, he's dressed neatly. And he's shaved clean, he has a nice smile, and he's whistling while he's walking. Looks like a nice guy. Well, most of us would be inclined to think, okay, that man must be saved. He must. Why else would he just wh- whistle and look so nice and smile so nice? That guy must be saved. But how can you know that about either of these men? You can't. You can't. You can't just look at somebody and make an assumption of what's going on inside of the heart. Not always. God definitely doesn't do that. You know, we need to change our way of thinking so that we can look at men as God looks at them. If we want to understand why the gospel needs to be preached, remember that's the question I asked at the beginning, we first need to understand the condition of man and who man truly is. So for that, let's turn to the book of Genesis. we go to Genesis chapter 1. Because we actually need to go back all the way to the beginning to understand what the true condition of man is. Genesis chapter 1. the first book for those of you that don't know (laughs) Genesis 1 all right let's look at verse 26 (coughs) okay verse 26 and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I've read an interesting observation on verse 26 this week. And that is that God deliberately created man. That's important to know these days. Look look at verse 26 again. And God said, let us make man in our image. Man did not appear by accident. He's not the result of some biological process that continued for billions of years, and now we're at the stage that we're at now. God deliberately created man. He created him fully formed, just like we are now, and He created him in His own image. That's important. He did that with a purpose. It was with a purpose. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, and we'll see the purpose of man. So for those of you that wonder, what's the purpose of my life? The answer is in Revelation chapter 4. Verse 11. (coughs) Revelation 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Now listen here. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Man was created for the pleasure of the Lord, to bring him glory. But I want you to notice what John writes here in that last last bit of this verse. He said, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God didn't just create everything, took pleasure in it and then stepped away uh, as the years went on. No, even you were created for the pleasure of the Lord. All of us were created for His pleasure and to glorify Him. That's the purpose of your life on this planet. God also created man so that he could have a personal relationship with Him. This is evidenced by the fact that since the beginning, God spoke to man. We see in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, you don't have to turn there, but that Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord while they were walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We have that song, and he walks with me and he talks with me. I'm not going to sing it to you, but <laughs> I'll spare you that. It's such a pity that we're, still not, we're not still living in those conditions, isn't it? In that perfect, perfect state. And of course, you know the reason for that. It's because of the sin of man. God commanded Adam not to eat the fruit of one tree in the garden. He said, Adam, you can have it all. (laughs) But that one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat from that. But we know how the story goes. In the end, Eve was deceived to eat the fruit by Satan. She was deceived by Satan. And she gave some to her husband as well, who then willfully disobeyed the Lord by also eating of the fruit. That's important. Adam willfully disobeyed the Lord and it was that willful disobedience that dumped this whole world and all the children of Adam into sin. Turn to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Romans chapter 5. <coughs> Adam willfully disobeyed the Lord, Romans 5 and verse 12, Romans 5 and 12, wherefore as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So let me turn your attention to the first part of this verse. He says there, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. The sin that Paul is talking about is not uh, any particular sin, you know. It's not lying, stealing, or murder, something like that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the sinful nature. That tendency of mankind to sin. That's what entered into the world uh, back then. So, Adam passed this sinful nature on to his children and they to their children, and so on through the generations, so that it it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from, you have this sinful nature. Since Adam was the first man. Yes, Adam was a literal man. The literal first man. That's important. People are making accusations that it's merely poetry or fables. No, Adam truly existed, and this is important. Now the question may come up, well, if it was Adam that sinned, (laughs) why do I have this sinful nature? Why do I get this? Well, I understand how people can ask that question. I really do. But you must remember that back then, Adam was mankind. He was mankind. He represented all of humanity, and he acted on behalf of all of us. When Adam fell, he took down all of humanity with him, into corruption. And because of that, all of creation is currently groan, groaning under this curse, as Romans chapter 8 tells us. And this is not the only ta- time, actually, that, that a single man's choices or actions influenced other lives. I mean, if you think about that, in the family, when a father acts, well, the family is affected by, by his decisions. When a boss acts, well, his employees are then affected by the boss's decisions. Uh, When a government acts, well, of course, the people of the country are affected by those decisions. This is not a political speech. (laughs) But, But it's just like that with Adam. He was appointed as the representative of all mankind. And when he sinned, the whole of humanity was affected by his actions. So let's look at the second part of this verse. Romans 5 and verse 12. Paul says here, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Sin was the vehicle by which death entered into this world. That was part of the curse that God actually warned Adam about. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, he told Adam that the day that he eats of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, evil, he will surely die. And it happened. Now we know they didn't die physically right there and then, but they did die spiritually. But years later, of course, they did die physically in the end. So death entered into this world through sin. Death is the penalty for sin. Most of us here today have probably been at a funeral before. Uh, I've been at one this week. And isn't it true that there is just a sense at a funeral that... Something's not right. You know, whenever somebody dies, there's there's always this feeling. Something is just not right. And I think that's because God actually created man so that we can live, not die. That was the original intention. If Adam never sinned, he would actually still be alive today. (laughs) Well, I mean physically in this world. But death was the penalty that he received for his sin. And he passed that down to us. Sin also brought a separation uh, between God and man. And it it ruined man completely. You will remember that we read that uh, man was kicked out of the garden. All of nature was cursed because of him. Even his wife was cursed because of him. And this curse continues until today. And it will continue Until the Lord destroys this and makes it all new again. So it is important to know that every human being is a sinner. It doesn't matter what they look like, it doesn't matter where they come from. Everybody is a sinner. You are a sinner by nature because of the heritage, heritage that you've received from Adam, but then you are also a sinner by choice. You are a sinner because of your deeds. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, we read that sin is the transgression of the law. So that means when you break the law of God, you've committed a sin. I like to tell people that, well, if I break the law of South Africa, I've committed a crime. Same idea. You've got the same idea there. And everybody did that. Everybody did that. There is not one single person in this world that has never committed any sin. Not, not even one. In fact, there was only one man in history that never committed a sin. And that was Jesus Christ himself. So unless you're sitting here and, and you're Jesus, well, you've committed <laughs> sin in your life. You have. But besides him, from all human beings born in all of history, every single one of them broke God's law in one way or another. And therefore they have sinned, per definition. And the consequence of sin is death. You know, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, we read that the wages of sin is death. We all know that verse. Um, That's the consequence for sin. And we all die. All of us. We all die. There's only one exception to that, and that's the people that will be alive when the rapture happens. The saved people that are alive when the rapture happens. The rest all die. But along with this physical death that that sin brings, there is also, of course, the spiritual death. I mentioned earlier that Adam and Eve died spiritually when they sinned. Now, the natural man is spiritually dead. If you're not saved today, you are spiritually dead. You may not feel like it, but you are. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, we read about the lost as being dead in their trespasses and sins. And this death, brings a separation between God and man. The natural man is separated from the presence of God and from fellowship with God. The only, only relationship that he has with God is that he is an enemy of God, as Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 says, which is, to say the least, a terrifying relationship to have with him. That's just, yeah. The last separation then, that will take place is between a sinner and God, is an eternal separation. This happens after the Great White Throne Judgment, that the lost go uh, go to, uh, well, that the lost will go to, and the Bible refers to this as the second death. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, we read that everybody who dies goes to the second death, and that means they go to this lake of fire and brimstone. There is no second chance after the physical death. God's holiness and his righteousness demands a punishment for sin. And every individual that dies in his sin goes uh, and goes to that judgment will be punished by being cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Every single one. And those are the facts of the matter. These are not fairy tales. They're not just stories of nightmares. These are facts. Someone that dies in their sin will end up in that lake of fire and brimstone. And that's a horrifying thought. To think of anybody going there. And I believe that God agrees. You know, it's not the, God, the will of God that anybody should end up there. Now there's a verse that we've mentioned a lot of times in this church before. And that's Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us, word. Now listen to this part. He says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Folks, God has a burden for mankind in that He wants to see everybody come to salvation. Everybody. And that burden caused Him to act. The Father sent His Son to the world so that He could die for sinners. In Romans 5, you've, you've got it open there. Look at verse 8 with me. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he proved his love to you, is by sending his own son to die on your behalf. A very well known verse throughout the world is John chapter 3 and verse 16. And that tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. They should not go to that lake of fire but have everlasting life. Do you hear that in both these verses? It is because of the love of God towards mankind that Jesus came to die on the cross for everybody's sins. God created man for His own pleasure and so that man could glorify. him, And the only way to remove this separation between God and man is by man putting his faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ that he did on the cross, and that he rose again from the dead. And when somebody does that, God makes him a new creature. And God then actually comes and lives inside of that person. So, let me just tie everything together everything that I said now so that I can finally answer this question that I set set out to answer, which is, why is it necessary to preach the gospel? And I think you're starting to get a picture here. Now, notice the question is not, why should we preach the gospel? That'll actually have a little bit of a different answer. Now, the question is, why is it necessary to preach the gospel? So, to sum up, God created man in His image and for His glory. And man was in perfect fellowship with God until man willfully disobeyed God and he fell into sin. And this sinful nature got passed down the ages from generation to generation to generation. And people kept on sinning because they chose to do so. They chose it. But God loves mankind so much that he sent his only begotten Son to die for us on the cross and so that he could pay for all of our sins. And now, if we would only put our faith in him, we can also be saved. No, we will be saved. We will be saved. So then why is it necessary to preach the gospel? Well, the answer is actually in the book of Romans, 10 to Romans chapter 10. And we'll use everything else in this call it a lesson, as background to what we are re- uh, about to read here, Romans 10. Let's start there in verse 13. Yeah, verse 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wonderful promise, isn't it? If Somebody will just call on his name to be saved. They will be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? These verses are stating the obvious. They really state... I've sometimes wondered why it's actually there in the Bible, but, well, I've lived a a bit now, and I know why it's in the Bible. Even though it's obvious, yeah, let me leave it there. (laughs) But it is necessary to preach the gospel. Otherwise, people have no way of knowing how they can be saved. If we don't tell them, that they can be saved through faith alone in Christ, then they will continue with their futile attempts to please God. All in vain. They need to be reconciled with God. They need to be restored into fellowship with God. And they need to not be His enemy. You know, the moment you put your faith in Jesus... That is when you become a son of God. That's the reconciliation. It's that you're not an enemy anymore. You become his son. And God wants people to be saved. That is why it is necessary, absolutely necessary, to preach the gospel. Let's pray. Father, Thank you will never be enough to say for what you've done for us by sending your Son. Lord, what a wonderful gift. Lord, please help us not to despise that gift. Help us to go out and be faithful ministers of the gospel in this world where we are, wherever you've placed us, Lord. Lord, help us to love people the way that you love them. Help us to see people the way that you are seeing them. Lord, please work in our hearts. Let us not forget this. Let us not make some superficial commitment and not follow through. Oh Lord, we need you to work in our hearts, please. Lord, will you please save more people and send more laborers into this harvest. Oh Lord, thank you so much for all that you do, and thank you for being with us this morning. Amen. Amen.